Rachel by Angelina Weld Grimke is a classic because it was one of the first plays produced written by an African-American woman. Yes. <laughs> Rachel by Angelina Weld Grimke is a classic because there's a seven-year-old in it with so many lines. <laughs> This is our history. This is our legacy. Hello, and welcome to This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theater Podcast. We're your hosts, Mary Candler the artistic director of Hedgepig Ensemble Theater and a curator of Expand the Canon. And me, Shannon Corinthian, curator, performer, director, producer. And we're here to introduce you to some plays by women that are classics. Classics. Now, Expand the Canon is a program of Hedgepig Ensemble Theater, a Brooklyn-based company dedicated to reimagining the classics, creating a legacy of storytelling with gender equity at the core. We're talking about Rachel by Angelina Weld Grimke. If you're looking to engage a white audience in BLM conversations, consider this heartbreaking yet love-filled family portrait. This play was the first attempt to use the stage for race propaganda in order to enlighten American people relative to the lamentable condition of the millions of colored citizens in this free republic, according to the program for the first production in NYC in 1916. Rachel, a young black woman in love, wonders if she could endure having kids of her own given the racism she and the children in her neighborhood face every day. Though certainly a tragedy, this play also shows black love and black joy in this historically important piece. The fact that this play is over 100 years old and we're still grappling with the issues it deals with make it a classic. A depressing classic, but yes, yes. <laughs> yes <a> 100%. <laughs> Not the most joyous classic that we have on our list, but definitely an important one. This play to me, I mean, I know I, I made a little jab at it about it being depressing, but um, it's actually such a well-written play because it really does tackle some really challenging and important and unfortunately still relevant issues, but manages to do it in this structure where we really invest in character before issue and really helps us find mm, the joy and the truth of these people's lives to contextualize what these challenges are for society. And I just think that it's so masterfully done in that way, mm -hmm. which is why it really deserves a place on the Expand the Canon list and on stages and at colleges, and in universities, syllabi, and maybe in <laughs> high school, too. Also, just like someone, take yes. this play on a road to universities across the United States. I feel like that would be such oh my a God. great home for him. And also, just like, you know, if you're looking at a play like Romeo and Juliet, the, the brilliance of that tragedy is all of the comedy that leads up to it. Yes. I mean, I think when I first read this play, I missed a lot of the buoyant comedy. But when we sat down with a group of actors to read it out loud, mm -hmm. I was blown away by the first act just clips along and like joyful glee right. of this like family. Mm -hmm. And it makes, it makes the rest of it more poignant and it makes it frankly way more tragic the further we get in 
she is very intelligent and you can tell in this play it's some beautiful use of language of metaphor of storytelling of pace um this play is long but i think she wrote it in a way that it's meant to be read and seen I agree. And, you know, we did on our website, expandthecanon.com, offer a cut version of this script. And it is absolutely not because of any structural challenges or anything that, um, you know, is problematic in the play. It is absolutely because there are, like, 15 children <laughs> cast in this play. Yes. And I consider that a producing challenge. Yes. So we, we did some creative cuts where you can kind of um, – circumvent some of these the two scenes that have like 15 kids in it I don't think you lose that much of the heart of this story and it makes it a lot easier to produce um, I think and I might be misspeaking a hair but the general gist of what I'm about to say is true that this was the first play put on stage to combat racial violence. Yes. This was a really big milestone for black women because this was the first time they could see their work done on stage. And not to diminish her standing, Angelina Weld Grimke's standing, but I think one of the reasons that she was able to do that is because her father first was the vice president of the NAACP, but also because her mother was white and her father was half black. So she had some standing with um, the white community and definitely some standing with the black communities. And I think it's important to note, and I'm sure we're going to continue getting into this, that um, this play is intended for a white audience. Mm -hmm. It is a play, it's an ent the entire cast is a black cast, and it is intended for a white audience. And I think this speaks so much to um, Angelina understanding um, both both part, both communities within uh, the world she lives in. Yeah, I totally agree. I couldn't agree more. Another thing about this being one of the first plays produced and published is, especially when we talk about the Harlem Renaissance, because this was kind of a precursor to that as it was published in um, 1916, women would produce their plays in living rooms. And that was also a huge part of the Harlem Renaissance is having black women write and produce their own works in their own spaces. And that's very similar to this. I think Grimke really stayed true to the kind of living room setting that was present in these plays because she knew that that was a big part of black theater at the time. Yes, you know, and that had that had really not occurred to me, Shannon, that uh, something that makes this utterly producible is it's one set yes. You're in this uh, home. And uh, we hear about things that happen outside of the home, but it's very home and hearth based. So, hey, bing, 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 another reason to produce this. Exactly. But, I mean, Shannon, we, gosh, I think that the things that we keep saying side by side are this play is really great. And this play is really important. And I want to be very clear that just because we're saying it's a huge first, just because we're saying that it deals with important issues, that is in tandem with it being an excellent yes, play. Yes. It is not an excellent play just because of its firsts and its position in the canon, but because it is a beautiful, language-rich play. You mentioned the metaphor. I yes. mean, Angelina Well Grimke is also a poet, and mm -hmm. you can just see that in this language. Legacy. Great. So, Great. Shannon, tell me a little bit. What is Rachel actually about? What happens in this play? So Rachel is about a family of educated black people who attempt to take a place within society. Um, but because of their skin color, they cannot. 
Rachel, like you said, is a woman in love and she is surrounded by children in her daily life. And she starts the play truly ready to start a family. I think that's her main goal is to have a child and to raise a child. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I'm so taken by like, you know, you meet people in your life and they just know from day one that what matters most to them is like children, having children, yes. caring for children. Mm-hmm. This Rachel is obsessed with kids. Oh, right. She's just yeah. obsessed with them. And she's described from the get-go as such a youthful energy. She is not innocent, but she's smart and she is kind and she sees the best in people. And fun. She's so and fun. fun. She is fun. I mean, because she hangs out with kids every day, she is a smart, big child herself. <laughs> Don't you think, okay, like in in real talk, I think that she would be like the world's best kindergarten teacher. Oh my God, 100%. Truly. I, I even think it's um worth noting that their last name is Loving. Loving. It's Rachel Loving. And it's very clear that Angelina is setting this up as just like this true family home full of love yes and also i want to note that her love interest name is strong john strong what a what a name you know really making it clear for us in case anyone was (laughs) confused we've got the lovings and we've got mr john strong i mean those are some beautiful names this also adds to the beauty of this piece because as we go through rachel faces um and not directly but she indirectly faces the racism that these children face day to day. Um, There's a group of children that she helps uh, look after and they come back and tell her these stories of what they experience out there on the world and she realizes that maybe the world that she lives in today is in the right place for children. Which, how sad. It's heartbreaking. Right. You have kids and put them in this world where they're going to be so hurt and potentially killed or do you not have kids and this is very sadly she comes to a decision that she shouldn't oh yeah and Grimke does a really good job at kind of building building that for us as she kind of outlines the racism that they face that her brother herself and her mom face day to day but because which is horrible but because we've we've kind of become numb to it because it's such a present thing in our day-to-day experiences. You know, we are expecting it. We're expecting a black family in America to, to experience some racism as adults. And Rachel does as well. She doesn't, she understands it. She doesn't really compute it more further than that, but it's when it attacks the children, these innocent, young, wide-eyed children that it really starts to affect her and takes over all of her dreams and wishes for the future And I just can't even imagine, you know, being so full of hope for yourself despite your circumstances. And you're so ready to to follow that dream, to pursue that dream. And because of something that's happening outside of yourself to something that you love, it just kind of tears it all down. Breaks my heart. Yeah, I will say you said something that hadn't really occurred to me of like in the first act of this play, this is really um, about the – Rachel and Tom and her mother and we do learn about the racism that they encounter in their life but you know Tom is like sure they called me the n-word a bunch of times right. but it's because they're jealous I just became quarterback of the football team it's fine right. I'm moving forward and then Rachel too we learn that um her best friend Mary who is a white girl has suddenly stopped 
pretending that she knows, like just pretending right. she doesn't know her anymore. And, you know, Ma says like, man, I, I, I saw this day coming and I'm sorry it has now come. But these are all just like things we deal with and move mm-hmm. on from versus what you're saying of like, yes, it is when it touches that next generation. It's like that third generation of trauma that is too much. Too much. Too much. There's a heartbreaking scene in here where a mother and her child come to see Rachel because Rachel had been looking over that child. And the mother says something about her daughter, which speaks to not how she sees her child, but how society sees her and how she's now forced to see her child. And she calls her daughter ugly, black and ugly, because that's how the world sees her. And the child is a, you know, there's no... There's no qualifier for a child. The child is pure, a child is, and you know, untouched by all of our prejudice or bigotry. And yet the mother, because of the society that they live in and because of the things that are done to them in the black community and to us in the black community, has to call her child ugly. And saying that to Rachel, who just called black and brown children beautiful and pure, is, you know, one of the first, I think that's a, one of the first punches to Rachel's psyche and her her approach to children. Yeah, it feels like the real turn in the play. This is in our second act, and it is, you know, this is the only time these characters come into the play, and it is a moment where we just get the outside world mm-hmm. for a second, and it's, um, it's not pretty out there. Um, it's really, that's a really tough scene. I find that to be the one that really changes the conversation of this play. Right. I guess, yeah, a way that I would describe this play, Rachel, is that within a bubble, we see a black family succeeding and triumphing and and loving each other. And that bubble is burst by society. That's what this play is about, is about looking into a frame and having the family try to keep the outside world separate from their life, but, you know, failing at that because... Society has its fingers in everything. It's, um, Angelina Well Grimke is clearly so masterful. And, you know, we've mentioned that she wrote this play for a white audience. But very specifically, she wrote it for a audience of white women. She saw this as the most conservative sect of society and the place that she really needed to make inroads and so she wrote this play very specifically about motherhood hoping that this one common bond could really bring a audience of white women to the table to really empathize and be in this conversation and to what you said they're also a very successful black family at the time you know the um father who is not in this play um, for terrible reasons is the editor editor of a newspaper and they have gone to school and Tom has gone to college and so much of the American dream is really happening yes and yet they are so hold, held back there are so few opportunities there is so much to overcome so I feel like she tries to make this family as um, relatable to a group of white women as absolutely possible so that there's no excuses of why this family is in this mess, right but it's like nope every opportunity was there and our society was there to you know block their forward momentum there are important themes and concepts in this play that i think are really important to talk about when we're discussing rachel and one of the important recurring motifs is 
the relationship his family has to God and to the church and his place and influence in their lives. I think, especially when we start the play, all of these characters have a very strong relationship to God. He's very present in their life, um, kind of the, the moral compass, which I think is still relevant today. I think a lot of people um, relate to that. But as the play goes on, each racist incident that happens challenges the faith and, and really makes everyone question how God, I think there's a beautiful line in there, which I'm going to paraphrase that Rachel says that is how can God let this happen to these beautiful children? It's not even to her, but how can God let this happen to these helpless children? And if he is help, you know, is he the God of black people or is he the God of white people? Grimke writes this better in the play, obviously, but that's pretty much... <laughs> You're saying that wasn't the masterful metaphoric poetry that Grimke writes? Um, I thought no. it was great, Shannon. Thank you did you. great. Thank you so much. Um, clearly, I'm at the same level of writing as Grimke. Off the cuff, you know. But I think that's so beautiful, and I think that's also something that people deal with today when we talk about what's going on in the world of, of the place of God and if God is... A, a god can let this happen to people you know and this is like you said i mean it's just um another reason that this play really should be produced across the united states if not further but like this is a conversation i think many communities of uh, you know christian foundation are ripe to have yeah. like we, we should be talking about this if we are growing up in christian communities then we've got to wrestle with um how how racism and religion intersect anywho so Anywho's. we could go lost, lost down yeah. the down the drain of um religion <sighs> but it is really it's central to the belief system here yeah so i was thinking also about you know, kind of in that same vein of, like, this play is beautiful, it's also important. Like, as I was reading it the most recent time, I started kind of listing every social justice issue that comes up. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, I, okay, I really like Alanis Morissette, and I liked a lot of things about Jagged Little Pill when mm-hmm. I saw it on Broadway last year. But there were so many social justice issues in it. That I started, like, raising my hand every time they brought in a new buzzword. And I was like, what is this play even about? There's so many things. And I just have to say about this play, like, okay, we deal with education access for black folks. We deal with black children having white teachers and how that can affect them. We deal with colorism. Yes. We deal with racism in the church. Yes. Job opportunities for black people, even especially well-educated black people. Yes. Interracial friendships. Oh, yep microaggressions verbal abuse we also have some lynching conversation early in the play and also the role of the media um so all of these topics are coming up Mm -hmm. but i never feel that way i felt with jagged little pill where it's like oh here's another one here's another one here's another one because it's just brilliantly um sewn together as real experience yeah it's I mean, that's exactly why this play is is so beautifully done. I am 100 percent with you in that. You know, there's some plays that are great, but they kind of hit you over the head over and over again with their message, which is fine because they're important messages. But I I have to say I love a play that kind of subtly tells you what it's about without, you know, shoving it in your face a little bit Um, just gives you your spoon, your medicine and hides it in a spoonful of sugar, you know? Yeah. 
And, you know, I will say, you know, we're in a podcast medium, so I will identify that I am a white woman talking about this play. And I think that there are so many white women, I'm sure myself included, that need to see this play and then need to have the talk back afterwards and then need to go out for dinner and have, like, important conversations about this. It was written in 1916, but the conversations in this play are so important for so many people in America. Yes, I agree. It's one of those plays that just, despite its its age, just feels so timely and relevant. And, and it made me want to have these conversations. It really fostered some kind of... Um, it made me want to be an activist. It made me want to talk to my friends about these experiences because I could relate to so much that was going on. And even though it was written for a white audience, I think that's even more important because I know that I, as I'm a black woman... And I code switch, and I know that there are some things that, walking in white society, there are things that I I act differently depending on what community I'm a part of or who I'm around. And I think we all, I mean, there's always an element of code switching, but reading this play about a black family written for a white audience made me feel kind of seen, and I understood where she was coming from. Um, I also want to note that this play when it was written because it was written for a white audience the black community in new york at the time or, or just part of the harlem renaissance which kind of went along the eastern seaboard um they weren't super thrilled which with this play because first of all the naacp the president was a white man and the black community was like we need work for us by us which was a big thing with harlem renaissance and this play kind of coming first felt like a treason within the black community. Maybe that's a strong word, but I I know that I read that the black community was like, this was maybe not the bright first step. But I think about the good it did and the conversations it started and, I, and the fact that we're still talking about it now in relation to the Harlem Renaissance and to the work that black women and black men did means that I think it was important and it and it did matter and it did start the good conversation. I mean, it's people with privilege and people with um, agency that can kind of move it along. Black people can scream and shout all they want, but until the people in power do something and realize what they need to do, then, you know, nothing's going to change. And, you know, I think until I understood that this play was intended for a white audience, I really struggled with it because I was like, well, what is the message that we're saying with this play? Are we saying that black people shouldn't have kids? Because that is not something that I want to right. kind of root for. But when I understood that it was really like a tactic to get people to understand the severity of what was going out there in the world, then it was suddenly like, oh, actually, this is genius. Yes. And this play, I mean, we say it was written for a white audience and for white women, but this play was a direct response to the birth of a nation film came out and the NAACP was like we need to counteract this because this is this is horrible I mean the message that birth of a nation was perpetrating was not the most positive for the black community um I think that's the biggest euphemism I could have (laughs) you mean a terrible racist KKK play yeah or a movie excuse me although it was based on a play called the Klansman Uh, yeah you know 
Yeah, I mean, already. See, there's a play and there's a movie, and yet Rachel just gets a play and doesn't get a movie. And also, it takes a really long time, well, not a really long time, but it takes jumping through hoops to get it performed, and then black women still don't get their work performed for a while afterwards. And, but yet, Birth of a Nation can be both a play, a movie, in conversation. Um, it The poster was still hung and talked about in my school. Like, this is a movie that was taught at university, at my university. Wow, wow. And yet, Rachel was a play that I had to dig for. And I thank my mentor for showing me that play, but you know what I mean? Like, there's a poster of Birth of a Nation at my school in Southern California. That's all I will say. And yet, I have to dig for one of the first plays published by an African-American woman. Yeah, I mean, come on. You know? Why is this? Like, it is... Mm, it is just... Um, you know when you just see white supremacy so clearly yeah. in institutions and yep. you're like, well, no hiding from that one. There it is. <laughs> uh. History. It's impossible to talk about this play without talking about Angelina Wall Grimke as a person and like what her life was. But I think we should maybe dive into that a little bit more too. Yes, she's the niece of two abolitionists sisters who worked to um, advance women's rights and she's also the daughter of the vice president of the NAACP and he was one of the founders of it as well. Yes she's like the product of so much social justice I love it. Yes um, I mean she was an educator she was a scholar she was a poet um I think it needs to be said, she's a very smart person. She followed in her father's footstep as he was the second African-American to graduate from Harvard, and she went to Harvard as well. Um, before she even wrote Rachel, she was an educator. She worked in schools. She really worked to with the NAACP. Um, she worked with the BSU at Harvard. Um, she was an activist and, and was really involved within her community, and not just in her community, but trying to bring the plight of black Americans forward and to the forefront of the conversation and try to use her position to advance um, the cause and to make sure that black Americans were heard in America. We had just come out of the Civil War. I say we, I'm not American, but <laughs> the U.S. had just come out of a Civil War. Um, and so there is a lot of tension when she's being raised. And she really grew up thinking and knowing that she had to speak and she had to speak up for her community. The fact that she, you know, she, as you mentioned, is um, born of a white mother and a half black father puts her in this really unique position of yes. uh, absolutely operating as a black woman in the world, but also having many of the resources. Angelina was highly educated because of the, white family that she was a part of yeah. and that they believed that she should be which i think is so wonderful no one ever told her no no one told her you can't they're all like no you you can and you will oh and this is story so she was in harvard and um the dorms were not segregated but they i mean racism was insane and she so the dorms her roommate wanted her out um they pulled pranks on her and by pranks i mean it was full-on racist 
aggression. Um, just oh yes, pranks. You know, pranks. Ooh, um, yeah. They really tried to get her out, and the few black women that were there in the dorms that were also experiencing this moved out. They were like, "We can't deal with this." And Grimke said, "No, I'm gonna stay. I have a right to stay. I'm paying like these women are. I am studying in the same classrooms as them. I will stay here." And she, you know, she got death threats, and yet remain there and really made it known that she was not going to back down. Yes. You know, it reminds me, one of the other playwrights on our list from 2020 is Zora Neale Hurston. And when Zora Neale Hurston attended Barnard, she was the only black student there. And I just think about, like, <sighs> these experiences of Angelina Well Grimke and Zora Neale Hurston at these uh, primarily white, I mean, <laughs> it's not even primarily white, all, all white institutions <laughs> um, is a, a massive uh, event to shape their lives. I think it's crazy because I still know people, and I went through this, of being the only black person in a school or in a classroom, in a, you know, private white institution. And you're like, this is still happening. I think in my graduating class at college, we were two black women. Yeah. And even in my high school, I was the only black woman there. It's just like, we're still going through this. And that is why this play is still so relevant and mm-hmm. so important. And it should never have fallen off of stages. You know, I know right after there was the original production in 1916. And then there was another production in 1917 at the Neighborhood Playhouse here in New York City. And um, I I just think that that cadence of like, this play should be done on major stages every year is where we should still be and yes. somehow fell away from. Yeah. It's also... Um, it's also interesting to note that um, most people believe that she was gay. She mm-hmm. wrote a lot. Um, she wrote a lot in a male voice, actually, to women. And there are also letters and such that kind of reveal that. But there's nothing kind of conclusive necessarily. But to be a woman of color and queer writing at this time is heroic. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, she's such a badass. I think at this point, if you don't understand that Angelina Weld Grimke was a badass, then I don't know what is, like, I don't know what your definition of badass is. Here, here. And I challenge, if you are in college right now, and this isn't on your theater history 101 class, I encourage you to go up to your professor and challenge them on why it is not in your 101 curriculum. Because it is important and it is beautiful. Oh my god, especially 101. I didn't find out about her until senior year of college. And I had to ask. So ask your freshman year. If you're a freshman in college or if you're a graduating senior, go into your theater department and be like, I want this on my curriculum. Freshman year. Yes. 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 And now a scene from the play. This is act two and a lovely courting scene between Rachel Loving and John Strong. Here in this scene, we have Jamal James playing John Strong and Samantha Nixon reading for Rachel. John. Well? I listened. Listened? To what? To you and Tom. Well, what of it? I didn't think it was quite fair not to tell you. It seemed, well, like eavesdropping. Don't worry about it. Nonsense. I'm glad. I want to thank you for what you did for Tom. He needs you, and will need you. You'll help him? Rachel, each one has his own little battles. I'll do what I can. After all, an outsider doesn't help much. But friendship, just friendship, helps. Yes. 
Rachel, do you hear anything encouraging from the schools? Any hope for you yet? No. Nor ever will be. I know that now. There's no more chance for me than there is for Tom, or than there was for you or any of us. It's lucky for me that I love to keep house and cook and sew. I'll never get anything else. Ma dear's sewing, the little work Tom has been able to get, and the little sewing I sometimes get to do keep us from the poor house. We live. According to your philosophy, I suppose, make the best of it. It might be worse. You don't want to get morbid over these things, you know. That's it. If you see things as they are, you're either pessimistic or morbid. In the long run, do you believe that attitude of mind will be beneficial to you? I'm ten years older than you. I tried your way, I know. Mine is the only sane one. Why, John, don't. Perhaps if you had a little more fun in your life, your point of view would be more normal. I'll arrange it so I can take you to some theater one night this week. You talk as though I were a... a a jellyfish. You'll take me. How do you know I'll go? You will. Indeed. I wonder if you know how... how maddening you are. Why, you talk as though my will counts for nothing. It's as if you're trying to master me. I think a domineering man is detestable. If he's perhaps the man... Besides, some of these theaters put you off by yourself as though you had leprosy. I'm not going. You know I wouldn't ask you to go under those circumstances. Well, I must be going now. Rachel, I am coming back to see you. This evening. Thank you so much to Jamal and Samantha for such a beautiful read. Thank you for joining us for our Rachel edition of This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon podcast. Learn more at expandthecanon.com. For info on what's next, you can follow us on Instagram. At Hedgepig Ensemble Theater with an RE. Facebook. Slash Hedgepig Ensemble Theater with an RE. Or join our mailing list at hedgepigensemble.org. You can also support this effort by a donation at the link in the comments below. Bitly slash Hedgepig Memberships. Again, I'm Shannon Corinthian. And I'm Mary Candler. See you soon. Bye-bye.